I'm Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and we have a special podcast today. No monologue or headlines, but we have two world-class guests. First is Bill O'Reilly, the legendary broadcaster and best-selling author. I read his new book, Killing the Killers, over the weekend, and just like all of O'Reilly's book, I learned a lot, and it's a smooth read as well. The book covers all matters terrorism, from the Bin Laden raid to the Kayla Mueller abduction and murder by Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, to the state of 9-11 mastermind KSM, who's at Guantanamo currently. It gets into the IRA, Boko Haram, and so much more. And we get into the current realities of terrorism around the world. And I get his analysis on what we're currently doing about it and what we should be doing to keep the bad guys at bay. Then another interview with Devin Nunes, who now runs Trump's Truth Social platform. He joins me to talk about social media, free speech, Elon Musk, and what his company is doing to provide an alternative to the cesspool that is known as Twitter. Nunes is a great American, and whether or not you're impressed so far, I think Truth Social is a worthy endeavor, and it's good to hear from the guy who's in charge. Always a pleasure when Bill O'Reilly joins the show, legendary broadcaster and author. His latest book, Killing the Killers, The Secret War Against Terrorists, just like all of Bill's book is, books, is a smooth read, which he's written with Martin Dugard. And just like just about all Bill's books as well, it is the number one New York Times bestseller. So congratulations again, Bill. Thanks for being back with me. Appreciate it, Alex. Thanks for having me in. I'm glad you enjoyed the book. Uh, I did, and it's so it's such a breezy read for such a comp. It's such a complex topic, uh, but I want to ask about the topic selection. And you've written written so many killing books, uh, but the subject is terrorism. And why now? Why did you decide that I'm going to tackle a massive research research project on terrorism? Well, I want to write a contemporized book. Uh, all the other killing books uh, on the ten previous have been about events that happened in the past. And the keystone event to our culture now remains terrorism, even though people don't understand the extent of it. So it wasn't a hard um, subject to choose. What was difficult, Alex, was getting information that had not been out there before. So I was lucky enough to convince national security advisors from all the way from David Petraeus in the Bush administration, Bush the Younger, to the end of the Trump administration to talk with me on the record about what they saw and heard and did. And that's the heart of the book, so that we got primary source material. We put it together in a way that drives the reader. You can't put the book down. That's the, uh, that's the formula of the killing books. But it does alert the reader that this evil is out there, it exists, and it could hit us at any time. Yeah, and it is one that is tough to put down. I did read it in one sitting, which is not infrequent, infrequent, um, I would say. I'm not the world's fastest reader, but it goes by that fast. And um, ha- I want to get into the research challenges because you even have a note at the end, which I thought was I uh, made me feel good because I thought this must have been a monster to research. And you put these things together so efficiently. Uh, how do you go about it? What were these challenges? And uh, were you were you really leaning on years of connections in order to be able to speak to the right people? I mean, how do you even some of the details of some of the raids that you bring forth are just mind blowing? Yeah. And, and that is the ability that I have because I do know them. I know the national security advisors. I know them all. And um, they trust me. And I told them this. I said, look, I'm not going to quote you. I'm not going to put anything in the book that's going to harm the country. But I do want you to tell me exactly what happened, because the American people deserve to know what's being done in their name to protect them. And they all agreed. I I didn't have one turned down. And, you know, even the Obama people um, who you wouldn't think would be that enthusiastic about helping me, not that I have anything, you know, President Obama and I have a pretty decent respectful relationship, um, but they jump right in. And that was a key because 
there was a transition made uh, from the Obama administration to the Trump administration that was pretty startling. And um, I had to get in and, and got the mindset of both administrations to make the flow cogent. And uh, it is a difficult – all of our books are, are researched um, to the degree that very few people understand. And you're asking a very good question, Alex. So Dugard, Marty Dugard, my co-author, is I think he's the best researcher in the world. Um, and, and I basically outlined a book in the beginning, and I said, look, this is what we need to find. But in this book, it was actually a little bit easier because once we got all these guys, and they were all men, to tell us about the events that we felt were important in a timeline situation, then it all fell into place. But the other thing is we didn't just put in the book what they told me. We had to confirm that with right. people who were there. See, I'm an old-school journalist. That's gone now, Alex. That's gone. Um, somebody pulls up the New York Times says, oh, uh, Trump did this. So they just print it. Yeah. That's no, right. check it. And they don't go into motive. Well, who's the person calling me? Why do they want to make Trump look bad or whatever it may be? And everyone's a senior advisor all of a sudden, right? Yeah. No, no. It's always sources close to whatever. (laughs) You know, and it's such a joke and it makes me angry because it's hard work to confirm this stuff. (laughs) You know, you have to track down and people who were in the bin Laden raid, which we did. You have to track down the people who went to Soleimani and tried to find any remains. They found a finger with a ring on it, and we have yeah. a picture of that in the book. Well, we have to find them. And, I mean, it takes time and effort. And that's sure. the difference. And, and I think that's why, you know, we've had 18 number one bestsellers now, Alex, which no human being in the world, nonfiction, has ever had. And you'll never hear about that in the press. I think they're embarrassed that that I've been this successful, but the folks know. They know we put in the work. Uh, How strong is our intelligence in the Middle East? Is it improving or is it uh, devolving at this point? Because it seems like this is the essence. And that's another good question. You you really have your handle on this. Biden didn't change the pros. So the same people who were in the CIA and NSA, National Security Agency, and those are the two agencies that monitor overseas threats, they're there. Now, a few of them, of course, retire, are they this, are they that, but Biden didn't go in with a cleaver and knock them all out because they worked under Trump, because some of those people have been working there for 30 years, the real pros. So they're still there, and, and U.S. intel is the best in the world because of our surveillance in space. And, and one of the things that people are reacting to in killing the killers is that we have drones three, five miles up in space can read the name of a golf ball right. on a fairway. I mean, come on. So they know, you know where the terrorists are, and they can see them live time and what they're doing. And the terrorists know they're being watched. And if they have somebody designated for assassination, and the United States is a list— all right, and they get them out of their little cave, wherever they may be in Tora Bora in Afghanistan, boom. And nobody even knows about it, because how would you? Yes. No, there's no reporting. I mean, there's nobody there. Um, and the United States just immediately classifies it. Yeah, and, and there's a compendium at the end of the book of terror attacks that you might not have even heard of, uh, which I know I, I wasn't familiar with all of them, and I'm sure some of those are pretty much new. I'm sure some of those just happened. And they dealt with them and Americans probably were involved to some degree in cleaning up or the process. And it's still uh, unknown, which does remind you that there are still some secrets out there. Yeah. And and particularly in places like Africa, where Boko Haram and ISIS are there now. And we have ground troops there, U.S. ground troops. Nobody knows. And they're assigned to to various embassies and their advisors and their training and this and that. But there are firefights and we take you. Uh, into one of those firefights that nobody's ever heard about. And that was the beauty of getting these national security advisors to tell us exactly what happened and and when it happened and why it happened. Uh, You tackle a lot of different subjects, and I do want to bring up Boko Haram and the Chaibok girls when I get to that, but I have a couple other big picture questions. One thing that you note early in the book is that innocent Muslims are the group that's hardest hit by terrorism. And 
I think this is true, and I think this is something that I, I do even though does the Muslim world even acknowledge this and think of it this way? The Muslim world basically is two universes. So it's the day-to-day universe where they're trying to make money, and everybody goes to work, and they do yeah. what they do in, in all the different countries. They try to survive just like we do in America, right? Try to put a little money away, try to raise our families, that, 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 that. That world has nothing to do with the terror world. They don't know what's going on. They might know that there's a radical imam in town, and he's saying death to America, death to Israel. They might know that. It's like the Iranian people. They don't know what's being done in a revolutionary guard. They don't know what Soleimani was doing with Hezbollah and all of the other terror groups in the Middle East. The average Iranian has no blank and clue what's being done. But the terror squads are decentralized. There isn't any one uh, command and control, and that makes it very difficult for them to launch another 9-11. And that's what the United States has been able to do to downgrade the command and control centers. But they're there. So uh, al-Qaeda is back in uh, northeastern Afghanistan. ISIS is back in western Iraq and uh, northern Syria. They're not the way they were. They're not nearly as powerful because Trump really wiped out ISIS. I mean, he really brought a, a hammer to them. Um, but once the Taliban took back over Afghanistan, then it was, hey, hello, Al-Qaeda, come on in, do what you want. Bill O'Reilly, again, is my guest. The latest book is Killing the Killers, The Secret War Against Terrorists, which is the number one book in the world at the moment. And uh, always, Bill's always welcome on the show on any topic, but uh, typically his research is uh, it, it, it premium, extra premium, and we love research here at Breitbart News Daily. I want to ask about some of your subject matters that you took on. The The first real profile was of the bin Laden raid. And one thing that I thought of is that you really laid out that bin Laden was a person of, of privilege, of deep socioeconomic privilege. And in this moment now where crime is framed as a socioeconomic issue, uh, is that true with terror? Because it seems like the exact opposite. And I, I think it's not even true with crime, but it's, it's more about values, isn't it? Well, it's about fanaticism. Um, so, you know, we had shootings over the weekend uh, in Buffalo and Milwaukee and in California. And if you if you cut through all the BS, and there's plenty of that, you know, the white supremacy and it's this and the guns that, and that, if you really get down to it, these are troubled people. They're emotionally and mentally disturbed people that are doing this. I mean, the guy in uh, Buffalo... 18 years old, and then there's Biden, white supremacist. I, I mean, look, this guy doesn't even know how to go to Burger King and order from the drive-in window. That's how stupid he is. And you're telling me this is some neo-Nazi taking orders from some kind of, you know, cell in Idaho? I mean, it, it's just ridiculous. So when you have that individual psychotic who in a free society has access to a lot of weaponry, you're going to have these things, and they're always going to have them. In the Muslim world, it's a little bit different. So uh, these children are radicalized very early in the madrasas, uh, and their parents choose to send them there. So the bin Laden family, for whatever reason, enabled Osama to become a fanatical Muslim killer. I don't know why, but they enabled it because they paid for his education. They knew he was a nut. They knew, but they allowed it. And and so each um, situation is different. But in America, when we see this, and, and these attacks are terror attacks. A guy in Buffalo is a terrorist, the 18-year-old. He is. Because sure. there's no other reason to do it other than to upset, disturb society. That's why he did it. That's terror. So, you know, to me, it's frustrating to hear the leadership of this country today mislead Americans on almost everything, Alex. There's one thing they're telling you the truth about. Dangerous. Kayla Mueller is one of the most important 
players in the book. She's a middle American humanitarian who was kidnapped, repeatedly raped and murdered by Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi and ISIS. Uh, her family thought throughout the U.S. government wasn't doing enough to help her. Uh, were they correct on this? Well, we had access to uh, the Mueller family. That was another thing that uh, made the book uh, much more uh, compelling than, you know, another third person uh, rendering. What happened there was that we have a policy in the United States not to negotiate with terrorists, and it's a good policy. I mean, we have to have it, because if you didn't have it, you'd have many, many more kidnappings. There's also the specter that even if you pay off ISIS or al-Qaeda, whatever it is, and are demanding millions for their kidnapped people, there's no guarantee you're going to get the person back. I mean, they have no scruples or morals. There isn't. It's not like negotiating with another country or anything like that. All right, you're negotiating with gangsters. These people do anything. So the Mullers basically, you know, did what any parents would do. They tried everything to get Kayla back. Twenty-six-year-old girl graduates from college in Arizona, goes over to Turkey, tries to do good, makes a mistake by going into Syria. She's visiting doctors without border clinic. And they ISIS guys nail her, and they demand twenty million dollar ransom or whatever it was. And and what is the Mueller family going to do? But what I wanted to show there was not so much that the U.S. government was derelict, because I don't believe they were. They might have been insensitive. Um, but I said in the end, I said, do you want me to hammer President Obama? Do you feel that he could have done more? And the answer for them was after we thought about it. The answer is no. So we played it straight down the middle in the sense that we didn't make any judgments about Obama, the American government. But we did learn that now if you have a family member or loved one kidnapped by uh, terrorists overseas, the U.S. government will allow you to pay ransom through Denmark or another a third country. Yeah. It's up to you. But they're not going to do it from Washington. But it was illegal until this point. And what do you think is the right move, the way we have it now or the way we had it before? I'd like to have the option. Um, if it were my son or daughter, I'd like to have the option. So I would say that if Denmark will help routing money through Copenhagen, then that's my choice. Um, I, I think that people in that circumstance, that horrible circumstance. And, we, you know, we have those emails between al-Baghdadi, who was taunting the Mueller family. I mean, the guy is just beyond belief in the evil. Yeah. You know, right. it's it just, uh, you can't even imagine. Um, but I think Americans should have the choice. I, I was thinking about it. Did you, he almost comes off as worse than bin Laden in the book. Did you give was, us any thought? I think is he was it, worse than bin, bin Laden. So, because bin so Laden, interesting at least had a little decorum about him where he wasn't raping young women. Um, you know, I, it's, it's, look, it's basically the difference between Goering and Hitler. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, right. they're both. Sure. Um, right now uh, in a very warm place. But there is, you know, I, Baghdadi, of all of them in Killing the Killers, was the worst. Uh, could we have stopped his rise if we had uh, acted differently towards ISIS? Yes, absolutely. Obama th pulled all the U.S. troops out of Iraq. <laughs> and that, that's what led to ISIS. Once we, we, threw, we pulled everybody out, just like uh, Biden did in Afghanistan, same thing. Biden doesn't learn from anything. Then, and, and then when ISIS came back, Obama was so embarrassed and humiliated, even though the press gave him a, largely gave him a pass on it. But he knew, and Obama's a whole different cat, as Dennis Miller would say, than Biden. Um, right. The last two years of Obama, Obama was a terror warrior. He finally got involved on a personal level because they, he was so embarrassed by this huge mistake that his administration made by pulling everybody out of Iraq, didn't have to do it, had to know that these guys were floating around, just as Biden had to know that al-Qaeda's going back to Afghanistan. He's got to know that. The people are telling him that every day. But Obama, light years ahead of Biden in the thought process. Sure. Biden can't think. This is what people don't understand about Biden. He yeah. cannot think. Yeah.
And and that's a leader. That's a leader of the world who can't think, can't formulate He's, thoughts, doesn't know cause and effect, right. doesn't understand if he does X, Y may happen. Just yeah, like the border. Uh, we we, we might disagree with with Obama's rationale, but at least he's got one. It's a Biden. That, look, to have, Obama yeah. tried in his far left haze because he is a true believer in the socialist cause, not for himself. He, he wants as many mansions as he can get, but in the income redistribution, in that haze, he was actually trying. To improve the lives of the poor. Right. And, he, and I know that. I know him. Biden doesn't have any of that. Biden's just in a haze. He can't get out of the haze because it is a physical thing. And, and Americans don't understand this. And that's so frightening. But that's where we are. Uh, one of the sections where I learned the most was on Qasem Soleimani, who I realize I don't know as much as I thought I did. He's regarded as a brilliant guy and a drug kingpin, which gives him access to untold amounts of wealth. But this is a section that in the book that was striking to me, having read many of your books, Bill, is that it was a particularly political. And I know that was I'm sure it was that way because it had to be. Uh, why was his killing seen as so political? And in retrospect, did that surprise you? Because I know you try to write the books for a neutral audience even though I think people are familiar with your politics. You're not trying to alienate people when you're writing these killing books. There's uh, no ideology in any yeah. of the killing books. No. Yeah, exactly. It's so, just so, history. Right. And so um, I was struck history, by how this was. Yeah. Yeah. It's history told in a precise way. So with the Soleimani thing, it was personal to Trump, just, just as ISIS was personal to Obama. Soleimani and Iran were very personal to Trump. Because Iran was disrespecting Trump. And if you disrespect Trump, he hates you. Okay? Everybody should understand who these people are. <laughs> so the real power in Iran was Soleimani. Because the, all the mullahs do is pray and, and hate, and, and they're not tacticians. All right, it's a theocracy run by these mullahs who do whatever they do, but they don't come out of the mosque. Soleimani was the guy who was formulating all the terror in the Middle East coming out of Iran, which is substantial. I mean, they're everywhere. Somalia, Lebanon, it's all Iran. The Houthis in Yemen, and people in America don't pay attention to any of this, but it's all Iran-based driving that and trump once they started to uh attack him that was the end so uh that's one of the i think best written parts of the killing series that i've ever done the track down and assassination of soleimani i mean when you read that yeah it's really good it's good. It's good. I can't say enough about the book. Killing the Killers is Bill O'Reilly's latest number one in the country. And there, there's a lot of stuff we're not going to get to. You've history in the IRA, which was uh, uh, good to read. Um, we're probably not going to have time to get to the Chibok girls, which where are they now? Uh, Bill writes about why there's so uh, little information about Boko Haram and Africa and just how brutal the terrorism is there. All that's in there. Uh, plus an update on KFM, who's still alive. I'd forgotten that. He's still alive. 9-11 Mastermind is uh, still around. And, still uh, sitting he's, he's in Guantanamo. Still... And that's why uh, they don't close Guantanamo down. Wow. Is it specifically? Yeah. It, 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 because they got it? nowhere to put him. Wow. And, um, they tried to bring him here, as you remind us. Well, they, he'll, he'll, if they bring him here, then he's got to be in solitary lockdown because they'll kill yeah. him. So um, I, 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 it'd be a mistake if I didn't ask you about President Trump and because you forged a pretty deep relationship with him. And there's a really uh, amusing section for me in the book where uh, you recall an interview where you're grilling Trump on uh, on uh, uh, on one of your programs uh, over an article that we'd written at Breitbart that I think he had exaggerated 17 percent, which is a which is I don't think atypical with Trump. And I yeah, think you were calling him on Muslims celebrating after 9-11. Right. And he had said there were thousands, which I don't think that was how we'd phrased it in, in the article. No. But he, he, he had added that. <laughs> that See, I was familiar on. with your yeah. reporting there. Yeah. So I knew what you had said. 
And what right. you had said was accurate. Right. There, there were, you know, a few nuts running around in Jersey yes. doing this, but they clamped them down pretty fast, the imams over there, because they knew you can't do that. But then Trump sees on that, and then, you know, what he always does is, uh, you know, it's to the 300th power, I call it. Right. It's geometry. Yeah. With it. <laughs> so, so, so and, and, you know, when I yeah. had him on a factor, I go, what are you, what are you doing? You know, what, what is it? And, and it's in, in perfect Trump style, he'll never back down. He'll never say, yeah, you're right, Bill. I, I, I exaggerate a little bit. I keep saying, why don't you do that? If you, do, if you did that, you would be reelected president. It wouldn't even be a problem for you. Yeah. Just once in a while, say, yeah, yeah, I, I made a misspoke on that one, or I might have yeah. graduated a little on this one. People will accept it. Never. You'll never get it. So, so give me. So the the audience knows uh, I really try to make an effort to criticize President Trump when he deserves it and to compliment him when he deserves it. But I've given his foreign policy basically an A plus uh, over the years, almost exactly cookie cutter how I would imagine it, which is amazing considering you know foreign policy background. Uh, you probably know it better than any human being now, having done this book. Uh, well, what is your take on his foreign policy? Well, Trump had pretty good guys around him. Pompeo was really good. I mean, really smart and knew um, how the whole foreign policy of the United States should be conducted. And Trump listened to Pompeo, and he doesn't listen to many. Now, he also had other people in there, national security buyers like Bolton and people like that. But trust didn't, uh, Trump didn't trust Bolton. And, and so... Once Trump got something in his mind, whether it was from Pompeo or someone else, and there were security advisors that he did trust, then he made the deal. See, Trump's presidency, domestic and foreign, was based on deal after deal after deal after deal. That's who he is. That's what he does. There was no theory in it. He's not an ideologue. He's not John Kerry. Okay. So he came in and he said, here's the problem with North Korea. We'll make a deal. Here's the problem with Putin. We'll make a deal. And he did make a deal. He wouldn't tell me exactly what it was, but the framework was, you don't embarrass me. I won't embarrass you. We'll both make money. That's what the framework of the deal was. But he had a little more specificity that he hasn't, he hasn't told me about. So in foreign policy... It was deal after deal after deal. Now, he gave the Iranians a decent deal on the nukes before he pulled out. He gave them a decent deal, and they just spit in his face. And you can't do that to him. So he was able to do deals with Xi in China. That was an economic deal. He sure. finally got Obrador to put troops on the borders of North and South Mexico. Sure. And he had to do that by threatening to designate, and if you read my column on BillOReilly.com about the uh, drug cartels and Trump, you'll see what that deal was. Um, and I was involved with that deal, Alex. Um, I, you know, I usually don't get involved with policy and presidents, but he came wow. to me. And I told him, you designate the cartels terrorists, you can drone them and send special forces and wipe them out. And Obrador didn't want that because it would have embarrassed Obrador. And so he said, okay, I'll put the military on both borders and stop the migration, which is exactly what happened. Bill O'Reilly, it is so fascinating. Uh, it's a, well, maybe you'll come back and we can do a part two if you have time on your schedule. Because yeah, whatever you want, you Alex. Look, we're, this book, uh, we're promoting it throughout the early summer. And I always like talking to you and your Breitbart audience. And uh, you just uh, tell us when you need us and we'll make it happen. That means a lot. Killing the Killers is out. You'll learn a lot, and it won't be. It'll be easy learning and enjoyable in the process. Congrats again on the number one. Appreciate it, Alex. Talk soon.
Devin Nunes was known as the top investigator in the Congress, at least on the Republican side of the aisle, but then he moved on to take over Trump's social media company, which is focused around True Social, which is now open to many of you who I think were might not have been able to have access to it, but I think as of the time that you're hearing this, you can get on if you go to truesocial.com. Uh, I'm rooting for him pretty hard to succeed in this regard. And I hope it's a big success. We also get his take on free speech in general and how you have a platform that simultaneously uh, emphasizes free speech, but just doesn't devolve into total madness and chaos. I think you'll hear, you'll find his answers interesting and he gets a lot of candid remarks as well, a lot of soundbite worthy moments. So let's hear the interview with Devin Nunes. Congressman Nunes, great to have you back on the broadcast. And I guess I want to start with the state of social media in a few places. Uh, I want to take it, but do you have a reaction to what's going on with Twitter, with the uh, sale of uh, Twitter that may or may not happen? Uh, President Trump predicted it might not actually go through, which might be true. I mean, are you rooting for one side or another? Well, Alex, it's great to be on with you as always. And uh, True Social is you know, really not too worried about Twitter. And despite the fake news continuing to, you know, to, to act like uh, someone cares about Twitter, uh, because as you probably know, you know, Twitter has not too many people that are normal that are on Twitter. It's a place for blue checkers, Hollywood people to post press releases. I call it a global press release wire for, for celebrities. And, you know, you, you, you seen it even yesterday where, you know, Bezos went out and attacked Biden on, on Twitter. You know, that's not what we're trying to do at True Social. We're trying to actually create a social networking company, and, and we are doing that. So we're trying to take what is the best of Twitter, the best of Instagram, the best of Facebook, and bring it onto a platform so that people can do social networking, right? So we're not interested in bots, spam accounts, corporate accounts. You know, we're, we're, we're a place where we want fun people to be, people that want to want to network. And, you know, you see that you know, just as, as we've gone through our beta testing period, you've seen where we've been the home for all these great people who have been kicked off of the other platforms. And it's amazing the talent that you see on our platform. We have these, these people who make these memes that are just absolutely incredible. And you see people on there all the time who say, oh, wow, I haven't seen you for three years. I used to follow you on Facebook. And, and people respond back, yeah, I got put in Facebook jail and I eventually quit the platform. So, you know, when people talk about Twitter, it's a global PR wire for mostly leftists and, and celebrities and Hollywood types, sports figures. But outside of that, they don't have any, you know, real normal everyday people that are on their actually social networking. So where are the users at? They're on Instagram, for sure. There's hundreds of millions of Americans on Instagram and Facebook. And then, sadly, you were just talking about China in the last segment I was listening before I got on the show. But TikTok is dominating now with young people. So yeah. at, at True Social, we are trying to be a place where it's a family-friendly environment where we don't have bots or spam accounts. I mean, we do have some because people sneak on there, but we're, you know, we try to kick, kick them off as quickly as possible. And that's, that's the business model that we're building. We're trying to build features out that take the best of the social networking platforms, social media platforms, and put it onto one, and and I'll just kind of finish up with this, Alex. You know, we're the place that can't be canceled because we've had to build this slowly and methodically, so that we can't be canceled by big tech. You know, Amazon can't shut down our servers. You know why? Because we're not using them, and you know we're not going to. Bill Gates can't screw with us because we're not using Microsoft. We can't be screwed with by. You know, a number of these social media tech tyrants because we have built our own cloud. We've partnered with Rumble, so we're using the Rumble Cloud, Rumble Video, which of course is the home for, for many uh, conservatives and, and independents who have been kicked off of, of YouTube. So that's what we're building. And um, I don't know if you know this, but uh, just an hour ago, we, we sent out a press release, Alex, that we now have our web browser open. So we were in, we're available on the Apple App Store. We've been wide open for about the last month. Uh, today, about two weeks ahead of schedule, you now can go to truesocial.com and Log on and get your account, no matter what device you're on, as, lo as long as you're in the United States. We're only in the United States now. Um, I have a lot of questions about True Social in particular, but I, I can't resist asking one more about Twitter because you pointed something out about it that I uh, still feel acutely, even 
if there is some hope emerging, and I, I'm sure we've discussed this at least in, in private, Congressman, over the years, that uh, Elon Musk is I'm not a fan of his. I think he's a China panderer who is a, a big media manipulator. But I do think overall, Twitter can't get any worse than it already is. But it's just so bad. It's just such a cesspool of left wing vitriol, uh, and it's noteworthy that despite apparent scrambling that they're doing to try to cover their own behinds uh, in case must must sale does go through uh but you still see stuff like jordan peterson who's popular psychologist and or psychiatrist and commentator saying he's going to leave twitter because it's dangerously insane uh, he voiced a opinion i don't agree with but is something that um is uh, totally reasonable that a chubby lady who's on the cover of sports illustrated swimsuit issue is not beautiful i i mean i think it's still a nice looking person even though atypical for sports illustrated swimsuit issue uh but it just the tens of thousands of, of hate messages sent his direction and he said he's out i don't think elon musk is going to stop that even if he comes in on twitter he's not going to be able to because that's what the platform is it is it's breaking news for the establishment media that has been censored and it's for mostly anonymous left-wing people to voice hatred towards other people. That's kind of what it is. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a bot farm. It's a bot farm with spam accounts and corporate accounts, and they've, that's been happening for years. And look, you see it, Alex, just in the, and I don't know if you've covered this, but, but Project Veritas, I think two nights in a row, one just broke in the last 12 hours, you have Twitter employees and executive, executives, I'm not sure exactly who they are, but... But they are saying that, yeah, we're full of communists and, yeah, we're, you know, we're left wing. We're not profitable because we, we don't. And I'm just paraphrasing uh, because, you know, we're for you know, we're for promoting left wing uh, ideals. And, you know, and I, th- th- this is why I haven't posted on Twitter in over two, I think, two and a half years now uh, it was was precisely because of this. It just was a useless platform for somebody like me um, who, by the way, really needed social media back in, in the day. I mean, that's how I kind of got I kind of got into this. I was forced in into this role, um, just as Donald Trump was forced to build his own company. You know, he Donald Trump didn't need a new company. I didn't need a new job. I was perfectly happy doing the, 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 the work of the people of, of my district in California. But what happened was, is during the Russia hoax, um, you know, of course, I had 95 percent of the fake news media constantly just putting out complete fake narratives that now you're seeing develop with the Durham, the first Durham uh, uh, prosecution that's occurring right now in Washington, um, I couldn't get a, a word in edgewise. So I would go to social media and, and, you know, and try to correct what was happening. And of course, you know, what I, what I quickly noticed was, wow, I'm not getting, nobody's seeing this, right? I, I put something out. You would think, hey, I put something out on Twitter. Didn't you see what I said? And of course, it's cricket because well, number one, the fake news media would ignore it. But two, I was being shadow banned. So we were one of the first to detect that we were being shadow banned by Twitter. So basically, if you followed me, you weren't able to find my post. So I was the first guy to go to Rumble because uh, I realized that YouTube was also shadow banning my, my videos. And I was the first to go to, to, to Parler. And then, of course, Bezos and Amazon shut down, shut down Parler. So that's how, you know, I, I went around the country last year. I think I was even probably on your show, uh, wrote a small little book called Countdown to Socialism uh, back in 2020 before the Hunter Biden laptop from Hell Story was buried. And I essentially predicted that all of this was happening. What we were seeing was a funnel effect yeah. of 95 percent of the fake news media being funneled through left wing social media companies that were poisoning the American people. And so after 2021, when I ran around the country, you know, complaining about it. And Donald Trump called up and said, hey, you should do this. And, you know, look, I, I wrote a book about this. I talked about this. If we don't have basic communications in this country, number one, to just talk to each other without being censored, so we can just see what, you know, people that are like-minded are saying, but also to reach those people in the middle that are, you know, center, even center-left, so that they know the position of the center-center-right. Um, you know, it's a recipe for disaster if if you don't have basic communications. And that's kind of 101 of, of, of warfare, but for sure in a propaganda war, which, you know, at a minimum is what we have going on in this country right now. 
Congressman Devin Nunes is on the line. He is the CEO of Trump Media and Technology Group and True Social. So uh, one of the things that people have been concerned about is tech hiccups with the launch of True Social. Can you update us on how things are going, uh, ironing out some of the tech concerns? Are people, uh, everyone's able to join at this point and you're feeling confident that, uh, the, uh, that you guys are equipped to handle hundreds of millions of users? Yeah, you know, it's kind of one of those funny things uh, also that uh, was, was complete fake news. So we launched a beta uh, in the middle of February. And actually, we had quite a few folks from Breitbart on. And Breitbart, Breitbart is actually one of our largest accounts uh, on, uh, on True Social right now. And, you know, we were, you know, no matter how many times we said it, we said, hey, we are going to, number one, we said we're not going to go until the end of the first quarter, right? And so we we so we beta tested all the way through the first quarter on Apple, but um, so you could only get it if you you know in order to get the Apple app. That's what we we launched first and built it out slowly. We had to get up a cloud that couldn't be canceled, which is why we went with Rumble. So we've actually taken this uh, very methodically, and you know at this point, as of this morning, we opened up our web browser so anyone can get it from any device if you just go to truthsocial.com. Which, by the way, Alex, we're ahead of schedule. So you'll never see the fake news is never going to never going to say that we're at a schedule. But we were hoping to be where we are today uh, by the first of June. Yet yet here we are. So this is and I think people just have to understand that because we're building this all step by step, block by block, without using any 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 tech tyrants to help us. You know, we want to remain uncancelable. But, you know, features will roll out slowly. So so right now, you know, we're not using algorithms. We have a chronological feed. We want to we want to leave that. We're going to build out more features. We're building an Android, an app for Android for the Google, Google Play Store. Uh, these are all things that will happen over time. But, you know, as they say, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. And it's going to take us, you know, we are going to take our time. We're going to build this right because we're going to protect our users, right? We are not going to let this, this company be shut down by some tech tyrant. And because of that, we just have to be slow and methodical. And, you know, right now, knock on wood, you know, we are wide open and, and, you know, people are enjoying the platform. Like I said, it's, it's amazing, the interaction. And one of the things we noticed quickly uh, on right when we launched the beta, you know, within the first month, Alex, we had Breitbart, for example, was getting much more interaction on our platform just as we were in our nascent stages. We even had people that were getting more interaction on Insta than they were getting on Instagram. And we now have those early adopters have more followers now than they even have on Instagram. And, and look, I, we already talked about Twitter. I don't, you know, I don't, we don't spend much time thinking about Twitter because there's not enough people on there that, that matter to us. But Instagram's got real people. And the fact that, that we had content creators, users come onto our platform and get more followers and more interaction they were, than they were getting on Instagram, I think is a testament to one, a lot of conservatives have left Instagram. And two, likely Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, are still doing things to to ban and shadow ban some of our folks. Uh, there's no doubt about that, and that's going to continue, and it'll probably continue well in the Musk era if that ever if that ever happens. So it feels like there's a couple of things where Twitter missed the boat, aside from the bot issue, which is you've already mentioned. And I think you're you're correct to note it, but there's a couple other things that are that are out there. Is there has been there is a delicate balance between having um, a purely free speech platform, which of course I I always gravitate towards free speech and I think that that needs to be the kind of cornerstone of any sort of successful social media brand, um, and the idea that there's going to be so much vitriol and hatred that it's going to be not monetizable, so you can't have a business. Um, it, what is your philosophy on this? I know it's kind of, I'm sure it's challenging to put into words exactly how you're going to address it, but how would, I'm sure you've considered this and do you have a overall thought on this? Yeah, I guess the, the main uh, point that, that we try to tell people is we're going to be family friendly, number one, but number two, we're not going to censor at all for political beliefs. So if you want to get on the platform and say, you know, I'm a communist and here's why I believe in communism, fine. Right. Or you say, I'm conservative and here's what i believe i'm pro-gun i'm anti-gun that's all great i'm pro-vaccine anti-vaccine i mean that's what we saw through the last couple of years really was just the horrendous uh type of, of censorship that was going on during this this pandemic is just just incredible so you know that is where that's kind of the cornerstone i would say of our of our company is that 
you know, we are going to be, you are not going to be censored for your political beliefs. Now, you know, with that said, you know, we're not going to tolerate, you know, if you're, you know, some fat dude sitting in his underwear getting paid by a company like Fusion GPS, getting money from left-wing causes to try to create spam accounts and bot accounts and, and just spam and attack people and load it with all kinds of, you know, uh, cuss words or play games that would, that, that would, you know, for the fake news media uh, to jump on. I mean, look, that's just not going to be tolerated. It's not, it's going to be a constant battle to try to keep those people off the platform. Well, they're not even people. It's basically paid, paid uh, operations. But uh, that's, that's kind of the line. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's really, it's really pretty simple. If you're, if you're on the platform and you're social networking and you're having a good time, but you, you're free to express your political views. Uh, if you're there to spam people and harass people and and do fake accounts, you know that's you know it's just not the type of uh, user that we're that we're looking for. And in fact, it's against our our terms of service. You know, spamming is against our terms of service. Uh, do you have any sense of what would be the uh, what? will happen if Twitter goes full free speech. And I think that's going to be hard for Twitter to do. Uh, you said you're not really focused that much on Twitter, but it is interesting because of it would be a big sea change in social media if Twitter, which is for many years censored people like you and me, if they stop doing that, uh, how do, does that affect your business at all? Well, remember what uh, President Trump and, and I have both said. Uh, President Trump was clear that he wanted to give the American people their voice back and open up the internet. So that's the mission of our company. And from the very beginning of, of the whole Elon Musk um, kind of saga with Twitter, uh, we were very clear, like, we're all for it. Like the mission of our company is to have an open and free internet. So president Trump has voiced support for support for, for Elon Musk. So, so have I. And I think, like you said just a few minutes ago, like anything's better than what they have now, which, you know, now we know from Project Veritas' investigation and sting operation, we know they were loaded with leftists. Now, like I said, I, I knew that four years ago when I was when I was being censored. So, you know, the, the mission of our company is to open up the Internet. If, if Elon Musk can open this up for free speech, that's great. But, you know, just to reiterate, and I know it's kind of kind of strange because everybody sees you know everybody sees those press releases from twitter that go on to the news media because the news media uses it uh as a way it's a global pr wire and look it legitimately is a global pr wire and has has a brand uh as being that but you know i don't know any normal people that are on twitter no offense to those listeners that are actually on twitter but um <laughs> they just don't exist I mean, I was at my family's uh, Easter get-together. It was kind of my extended family. There was like 100 people there. And uh, the only people I could find that were on Twitter uh, you know, or even had been on Twitter were two of my uncles who had been on Twitter, but they got off of Twitter when Donald Trump got kicked off of Twitter. And outside of that, no one else was on Twitter in my whole family. And, um, and I think that's what you would see with most families, just most normal people aren't on Twitter. Uh, but with that said... Um, you know, over half the people there were on were on Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, TikTok. So that's so so are, are you confident? Yeah, that's where we gotta the, go. So I think you're right about this. That Twitter does feel like a newswire slash a place for people to do live action role play for you know their most hateful thoughts. Uh, it just seems like that's kind of the platform. Plus, of course, all the bots. Are, are you confident that you can create an environment at True Social that does replace this fakeness? And, and if so, how do you do it? Well, look, what we're trying to build is is a safe place where people aren't going to be canceled and they feel free to social network, right? So that's why it's so critical. And if, you, and if, if anybody who's been on our platform, you know that our picture quality is really good. Um, it's you know, probably has a little bit of feel of Instagram. Our videos are very, very good. We only do two-minute videos now. Uh, hopefully, we'll we'll get those faster and, and larger. Um, but it's a, people are having a great experience uh, on our platform because we're trying to take the best of all these social media companies and put them in put them into one. So you know, that's why. Look, despite even though we've only been open on Apple until this morning, uh, when when we opened up, now you can go to TrueSocial.com and, and sign up. You know, it's amazing. Just I mean, we, we, 
it's, we're not the, the fastest growing social media company in history. Uh, we've got to be pretty damn close. And I think that's because you just have so you have millions of Americans who have been dis, disenfranchised by by the so, these social, other social media companies that they're happy to come to a place where they know they're not going to be censored and they're and they're going to be safe and they're not going to be shut down by some tech tyrant. You know, that's really our comparative advantage in the market. And it's going to take us, you know, I wish I could just snap my fingers and get all the features that everybody wants immediately. But, you know, it's going to take us time. It's going to take us time. I mean, you know, right now, knock on wood, we were able to launch our, our web browser at, social, at truesocial.com you know, a couple of weeks ahead of time. You know, hopefully our features will, will stay on track too and we'll hopefully be coming out with features every week or two uh, that will improve the experience for the user. I mean, that's the, the business that we're building is we want a free and open internet with a, where people have a good time and are free to, to express themselves on social, social media and network with one another. You know, imagine that, just like actually being able to, to, to talk to one another and, and, and learn things about one another. That's the part of social media that five, six, seven years ago people enjoyed. Congressman Devin Nunes is on with me. And Congressman, I got a minute or two left. It's, he's CEO now of Trump Media and Technology Group, a.k.a. True Social. How many active users do you have right now and now that it's opened up? As of this morning, how many are you anticipating? Uh, what are your benchmarks you're looking at? Well, we are we are going through a uh, public merger. We're going to become a public company, and so some of these uh, some of the numbers and metrics are things that you know we only would talk about quarterly, or when we you know kind of when we're when we kind of meet those benchmarks. But I think you know what you what we can easily say is that we're open to millions of Americans. Uh, we are uncancelable. Uh, if you look at, I mean, I think Breitbart's got over a million followers, right? I mean, a, a massive engagement that, that Breitbart gets, you know, when they post. Uh, you look at Donald Trump, he's got, uh, gosh, I think he's closing in on 3 million followers. Uh, I've got over 500,000 followers. And, and like I said, I think what, what we look at is, is you know, we want to keep all the bots off, all the fake accounts, and, you know, if, if that becomes a place, I think ultimately if we, if we can get into that Instagram market, you know, it'll be tens of millions that will be, that we will be open for maybe, maybe more. And that doesn't. Well, con Congressman, you got to forgive me because I got to run, but uh, you got an open form here. I uh, want everyone to come back and congrats on the expansion truthsocial.com If you want to sign up and now everyone can, it sounds like, so uh, make sure to register and we're all rooting for you. And we hope you do great. We hope you do great. Yeah, Alex. Thanks a lot. Great to be on your show again. Thanks a lot to producers Haley and Greg Eben for piecing this show together. Thanks to all of you who've told 10,000 friends and family members about the podcast, about Breitbart.com, about the live show at SiriusXM Patriot 125 every morning at 6 a.m. Eastern. All that's very helpful, and we can't thank you enough. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Apologize.